Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket, where we chat with today's most inspiring and successful healthcare leaders. If you like the show, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Go to outcomesrocket.com slash review and let us know what you think. Love to hear from you all. Without further ado, I want to introduce my outstanding guest, Dana Lewis. She is the co-founder of Open APS, and she has been in healthcare for quite some time looking to apply the best of analytics, data, and programming to healthcare so that we could leverage these technologies to make healthcare better. Dana, I want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So maybe you could round that out a little bit better and give the audience a better understanding of what Open APS is and what you are focused on in healthcare. Sure. So OpenAPS is the open source artificial pancreas movement, which is led by patients like me who have said, we're not waiting for commercial technology to come to the market in a couple of years. And so we've created DIY technology, whether it's remote monitoring or artificial pancreases, and are using open source principles to make the code better, to share it with other people, and to bring other people into the community. And that's one big focus of my work. But the other thing I'm working on is how do we scale what we've done in the diabetes community to other patient communities? And I'm actually now the principal investor investigator on a grant funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation in order to study this work, but also figure out how to leverage it and scale it to other patient communities. I think what you're doing is so awesome. It's sort of like at the center of the patient as CEO. I had uh, uh, Robin Farman Farmian on the show, and you are literally doing just that, Dana. You are the patient CEO representing for all those with diabetes which is so cool, and opening up the floor to anybody that wants to collaborate and innovate. Yeah, I think it's really important that we have a lot of flexibility and providing opportunities to patients. There's some patients who want to do more and they're just not able to, but not everybody needs to create a nonprofit or create a company or truly be CEO all the time. So one of the things I'm very interested in doing is exploring what are the many, many different ways patients can be involved when they have a spur hour during the week where they want something longer term and really being flexible and adapting to people at all levels and all parts of the world, however they can. Some people can take time off of work to do stuff. Some people can't. So we really need to think about what are different ways we can engage patients at different levels of activity. Yeah, that's such a good call out. And Dana, what would you say the turning point was that got you into the medical sector? So I was diagnosed with type 1 15 years ago this weekend, actually, at the age of 14 in high school. And so that really was my first turning point of deciding I was going to do something in healthcare. And I really wanted to figure out, how do I help as many people as possible? I thought about going into medical school, becoming an endocrinologist, but decided that wasn't the way I could make the most difference. But I've really focused on using communications throughout my professional, traditional career, as well as what I've done with OpenAPS to educate and inform people about what's possible and to bring people together to collaborate. Because I think that's one of the strengths that social media provides us in the modern era of healthcare is really how can we come together in new and different ways when traditional infrastructure of companies and businesses in healthcare hasn't allowed that. So for me, that turning point was really that realization of social media as a powerful connector of people and and then figuring out what are the different ways we can apply that to make healthcare better. 
that's huge. And just being able to knock down the barriers and, and help bring solutions by using social media is, is so awesome. And I just, you know, when I think of the DIY movement, my brain goes directly to like the 3D printers and to all the other things that are going on. Like but 3D printers is, just comes up to mind. And the stuff that was able to, to happen because of the DIY movement in 3D printing is just phenomenal. And I'm really intrigued what will happen now that you and your team have started this movement. It's kind of exciting. I think it's incredibly exciting, and I'm so excited to see what comes next. I mean, I think diabetes is naturally a data-driven disease, so it was, quote-unquote, easy for us because we had the data. We knew already how to deal with the data to really kind of push the envelope and figure out what came next, but I'm really interested to see other communities as they leverage technology and collaborate with others, how they decide to apply this DIY technology, whether it's 3D printing or open-source algorithms and software or open-source hardware, but really see what's possible because I think people who live with these diseases, they deeply understand. We deeply understand the problems and what we think is the number one thing that we should be solving. And what we think should be solved is not always what companies in the bottom financial line decide are important. There's often a gap there. So I'm excited to see more people working together and sharing their ideas. It's not that all of them can't eventually become commercial solutions. Many of them can, but they often will start from a really deep place of understanding and solving some of these problems and then turning around and citing, I want to share it with other people because it really helped me and then allowing it to grow and improve as people take it on and make it their own and make it even better. The movement has started, no doubt, Dana. And um, you bring such a great point. What is driving innovation isn't always exactly meeting the needs of patients. And so it'll be really interesting to see what bubbles up from your efforts and, and the people that are getting involved. What do you think a hot topic you feel should be on every medical leader's agenda today? And how are you and your organization approaching it? So I think interoperability is absolutely key. And I mean that because the devices that are designed today in healthcare are often designed for the company that makes them. They're not designed for the patient or the doctor, whoever the end user is. It's incredibly frustrating. Mm -hmm. And then also, if you take device A and device B, they do not play together. And that's going to stimmy further innovation. It's going to stimmy outcomes and quality of life. And we're just at a point where we can't accept that anymore. And so I think companies really need to be thinking about having flexible architecture and infrastructure that, yes, maybe a patient or a doctor out there might build something really great, but they shouldn't see that as a threat. They should see that as an opportunity to have these small innovation labs out in the community, out in the world, figuring out how to better work with their product. It's a win-win for the company, Absolutely. but I think the traditional perspective has just been shut it down. Don't be interoperable. That's a bad thing. But I think what we're seeing is true interoperability is really going to be the game changer for the bottom line for these businesses. It's a great call out, Dana. And I think about Bluetooth, for instance, the things that we could do because everybody decided Bluetooth is the standard, right? We need Bluetooth for devices. Yes. And that exact ability of we want that built into the device so that we can communicate the way we want. Maybe the average person isn't going to control their pump themselves, but there's a small community of people out there who deeply want to understand and control their device to make it better for them. And they're going to stay on your product and get better outcomes versus moving away to a competitor in search of a product that's going to work better for them. So that interoperability and that flexibility for customization is really going to help everybody. And again, it shows the company the market of here's what people are wanting to do. If they're that willing to DIY, there is a market need out there and you can really see that market grow. Yeah, absolutely. And then you start getting innovation that that stems from the actual user and things that maybe would not have ever come up in your innovation labs or in your R&D. Yeah, I think it's fascinating from my seat in the diabetes world for things that I've heard people in industry say that's 
totally impossible and people don't want that and people aren't willing to do that. Well, as I said today, there's over 400 people worldwide who have self-built hardware and software to have an artificial pancreas. And there's definitely pros and cons to that and a lot of risks, but people decided that the net risk reduction is worth it. And they are willing to go through a lot of effort to get those better outcomes. And so, no, it's not impossible and people aren't willing to do it. And it's really, I think, important for companies and people at companies to take a step back and listen to users and listen to customers and listen to patients to really see how is the quality of life such that they are willing to make such a significant investment in time and energy to have a better quality of life. Dana, you're an example, a healthcare leader that refuses to accept no for <laughs> for an answer. You you refuse to accept convention as the way. And it's this uh, courageous view that you have that really will be the catalyst for change. So I, I really commend you for your courage and your strength to not accept what is. And can you give the listeners an example of how you have done things differently to improve outcomes? Well, I think it really comes down to a lot of the open source principles that are a part of the open APS community. For those who are not familiar, open source sounds maybe fluid and scary, but this open source mindset is really about allowing other people to see the source of what you're working on, to be able to have an open and transparent discussion about what could be better show your work in progress, allow other people to review it. And that's what we do in OpenAPS is the code that runs the open hardware and the open software is freely available for anybody to review, whether that's individuals or companies. And so they can chip in ideas or suggestions on how to improve it. They can also take it for themselves, apply it and make it better, which is awesome. But also our documentation is open source too. Like people wouldn't be doing this if we didn't have documentation that helped kind of show them this is the safest way to do it. Here's the things to be thinking about. And people are constantly coming back and feeding in new ideas to that. And that sounds pretty straightforward. And it seems like maybe everybody should be doing that. But when you think about the traditional way of designing medical devices, everybody has closed source devices, they have closed source user guides. And so people like me, patients will turn to social media and create wikis and blogs and forums and all this other content. That's not maybe always 100% open source, but it's working towards that open source of we need to be able to freely share ideas about what does and does not work and how to hack and work around. And if companies aren't willing to adopt that and be different and allow people to interact like that, then people are going to find a way. But I think it would be better for more companies to think about this open source principle of being transparent about what their product does and does not do and allow people to help make it better. Totally. Give me an example, Dana, of a time when you had a setback. And <laughs> and what did you learn from that setback? So when we first closed the loop, and that means adding a small computer to send commands to my insulin pump to automatically adjust my insulin dosing. We did this on a Thursday night and I went to bed and I woke up the next morning. My blood sugars were great. And we designed the system as just an overnight system, but I loved it so much that I was like, I'm never letting this out of my sight. And so I unplugged it, put a battery in it, took it to work, brought it home and did that. However, the computer we were using at the time, a Raspberry Pi has a known kind of issue where if you unplug it suddenly, sometimes that'll crash the SD card. It crashed the SD card. It was Friday afternoon. And so by the time we figured it out, this was before Amazon two-hour shipping. And so I couldn't get an SD card until Monday. And I had to go the whole weekend without looping, which after two days of looping was heartbreaking and so upsetting. And so we very quickly learned to always carry backups and have a backup for that so that we didn't have that. But that was a very important lesson for us to have early on was to assume that the hardware is going to fail and ways that we didn't expect and making sure we know what to do. But that became a very important principle of the open APS community, which was designed for failure. We had planned to design for failure around 
what happens if you lose communication for any other reason. But it really reemphasized to us that we have to assume that every command that the system sends is the absolute last command it would send. So be conservative and do the safest thing based on the available data. And that's really stayed true. So I've had many other quote unquote failures over the years with this project, but they haven't been major setbacks or very big disappointment because we've had this mindset of assuming you will fail and always try to learn from it and try to make it better. It's very easy to look at it as a learning opportunity. You always have this growth mindset of, okay, we learned something else that didn't work or we found another edge case. We're going to design some more safety constraints around that. So it's better for the next person and you do that and you move on. And it's really great to have that mindset and not to feel threatened or worried by, oh gosh, something went wrong. It's like, that's a matter of fact. Moving on. No, that's exciting. And I can imagine being in your shoes and all of a sudden it crashes and oh my gosh, now I, you know, I'm not getting my insulin delivered and you're just freaking out. There's well, it's no- not that I wasn't getting insulin delivered. It's just, oh, I have to go back to the old way of doing things where I had to do it uh, manually. God. So it's just oh, like, I see. It's I like see. Okay. You, you let, have this the amazing automation. technology and the, yeah, the automation goes got away. It. And it's just like, <laughs> it was the best two days of my life and then the worst <laughs> day of my life. <laughs> that is too funny. And, and you know, the thing that, that sticks out is what you said earlier in the podcast is this idea of a net risk reduction. You know, sure, there are some risks to doing this, but you're doing it on your own accord and the overall net risk reduction is there and that's why you're going for it. And I think that's so incredibly important when people talk about it and question open APS and questioning is good. That's where the transparency comes in. We say, yes, there is additional risk, but the overall benefit makes it a net risk reduction. And that's why so many people have decided to do this is yes, they understand the risk. They understand how it could crash and go wrong. But in hundreds of people over many years and like millions of hours of experience with this technology, we've never had any terrible, significant adverse event outcome like you might expect or predict to happen. And that's because of the the safeguards. And it's also because people go into this with their eyes open. They know it's DIY. They know they're taking the risk on themselves and they get to decide what level do they put their safety thresholds at? How much insulin can this device give? And so they are really in control of their experience. And like all projects, you see different personalities coming in. So people do everything without reading the instructions and they get up and running and then they crank their safety settings all the way to the max, like on day one, (laughs) which is for me because I'm not that personality that terrifies me. And then you have other people who will start in phase one with like all the safety settings turn the lowest possible and they stay there for weeks until they're comfortable moving on. And that's fine. But I think again, that customization, that flexibility and having that knowledge being transparent to the person so that they get to decide their level of concern about risk and safety. And it's up to them about do they keep using this device day in and day out? And I think the people who have continued to use this year after year is testament to having the right amount of knowledge for people to feel informed and to decide that it is truly net risk reduction and that they are safer with the system than without. What, what would you say one of the proudest moments that you've experienced the data is? Oh, there's some good ones that when I think about just give me chills. I mean, for yeah. me, I was proud day one because the reason I did this is because I was afraid to go to sleep at night, that my blood sugar would drop dangerously low. Mm-hmm. And so the first time I traveled after I had the system and I was in a hotel room by myself, you know, I was getting ready to go to bed. I used to kind of like lay there for a couple of minutes and kind of mentally prepare myself for how bad the night was going to go. I was going to wake up and have to drink juice or I wasn't going to wake up and I was going to feel terrible in the morning. And what if I didn't wake up and being afraid to go to sleep at night is not something that people should experience, but that's what Agreed. I did. And so after we had the system and the first night I used it on the road, I went to sleep without worrying. and I woke up the next morning going, I was able to go to sleep without fear. Yeah. And 
that was just a light, huge weight lifted off of me and a light bulb went off. And for me, that was that moment. But then I hear parents who talked about being able to be at work and their kid being able to be at school. The kid does their job, which is to be at school. The parent does their job at work and nobody worried about diabetes for the day because the system had it covered. Or a parent being able to go with their teen daughter for not talking about diabetes for 36 hours for the first time in two years since they were diagnosed. Just little moments like that where different people have these different relationship or different burdens of diabetes and this type of technology, freeing them up for that or giving them new experiences to me just makes it all rewarding. I have never thought that we would have so many people using this kind of technology, but I always said if one other person found it as valuable as I did, it would be worth open sourcing it. So the fact that we continue to hear these stories week after week and for people around the world in different life situations, it's just absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's a testament to the applicability of what you're doing. So Dana, give us a little bit on an exciting project that you're working on today. <laughs> so OpenAPS to me is the exciting project, <laughs> but one cool thing is the system that we designed almost three years ago isn't the same system we're using today. We've continued to innovate on algorithms and features yes. to the point where the version of in development that I'm testing right now is one such that instead of having to manually dose my insulin at the start of a meal, instead of having to count carbs and dose insulin and let the system pick up from there, I'm now able to simply put in a carb estimate entry. Like this is a medium size 60 carb meal and I do not have to manually dose my insulin and it's able to pick up and go from there and give me the similar outcomes when before I was manually dosing. So to most people that may not sound like a big deal, but having to remove the burden and the decision-making from somebody around mealtime was one of those like last big barriers for having a more automated system. And that's totally what's exciting to me as we've crossed another one of those barriers of making this even more frictionless for people with diabetes. I love it. That's so exciting. And you just kind of continue to find those barriers and keep breaking through them. Hey, maybe you'll be the next Medtronic, you know? <laughs> well, we're not, we're not going commercial, but yeah, I think what's, what's exciting to see is the speed at which we can innovate. We always think, okay, surely we're done. We can't do anything else to top ourselves, you know, as a community about the features. And then somebody comes up with an idea and we code it and test it and roll it out to the community. And people are like, oh my gosh, this is even better than the last you know, <laughs> spread that we thought was amazing. And I, I think it is a testament to the whole entire community that works on this, but also, again, that open source of being able to have fresh ideas, fresh energy, people contributing around the world at all hours. And we all have that shared goal of making life with diabetes better. So it's just, it's cool to be a part of something like that. Very cool. I think it's super cool. And I always think that if you're getting the traction that you're getting now, I mean, it just... Imagine the number of lives that you're going to be able to improve just by what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I see it in the people who have chosen to use this technology, but what I'm also really excited about is there are companies looking at our code and looking at how do they make their product better as a result of what we've learned. And I think that's where you start to really see the ripple effect is it's not about commercializing and scaling our particular thing. We don't want to commercialize it. We want to keep it open source, but that doesn't mean that the traditional companies who have the ability to scale to hundreds of thousands of people shouldn't be leveraging what we've learned over the last couple of years and taking advantage of that iteration. And that's what I'm excited to see more of is companies partnering with the patient communities, with these open source communities that deeply understand and have solved a lot of the problems that maybe they couldn't figure out how to solve with their infrastructure and their resources. And it doesn't always have to be complex. We found some very, very simple approaches for solving some really, really complicated problems. And what we found is that if you can't simply explain
explain your solution. It's probably still too complicated. And so I'm excited to see more of those conversations and relationships happen. And again, beyond diabetes too, because there's a lot of expertise out there in other patient communities, whether we're talking about cystic fibrosis or cancer or you name the health condition, there's expertise out there by non-traditional experts. And it's crazy for us with all the healthcare problems we have to overlook that expertise wherever it is. I love it. That's great. Dana, this is the part of the show where you and I do a lightning round. It is basically, we're going to put together a course on what it takes to be successful using technology in healthcare. The 101 of Dana in tech and health. And so I've got five questions for you and uh, we're going to go through these pretty quickly. So just want to know if you're ready. I'm ready. Awesome. Okay. So what is the best way to leverage data to improve outcomes? Design for data first and not last. Oftentimes data is thrown on at the end of, oh yeah, we need to display something versus made central to the design experience. And it also means that people are usually designing for the company's use and not truly the end user, the patient, the doctor, whoever's actually going to be using the technology. What common pitfalls or mistakes should be avoided? Forgetting about your end user, and that means, again, designing for the patient first, the doctor second, the hospital third, and your company fourth. And it's really about easing the way of the person who's going to be using it versus making it easy to get it approved through your company or approved through regulatory. What is the one thing companies or providers must focus on to create meaningful improvements? I would say to stop thinking about the next tiny incremental change and to really step back and think about designing for what is best for your end user and really what is going to make the biggest difference. I think we often let these companies limit themselves way too much in terms of what they should do next versus thinking about what is really possible and applying their expertise to solving that problem. Yeah, that's a great one. And what can organizations do to stay relevant with rapidly changing technologies? Say what we patients say, which is we are not waiting. We are going to find a way to leverage everything possible, the fastest technology, and change the company in order to catch up. But don't be beholden to decades-old manufacturing or design processes. I love that. And finally, Dana, what book would you recommend to the listeners? So I really appreciated reading Thomas Friedman's Thank You for Being Late. I think he does a fantastic job talking about technology and some of the pivot points of where the technology really sped up and how the technology companies themselves adopted, but also just some interesting mindset for us individuals as we work in healthcare about how do we both speed up to take advantage of the technology, but also slow down and really think about the end problem and the end users that we're trying to solve for. I love that. I'll have to pick that one up. I haven't heard of it before. It's a really good read. Thank you for being late. So there you have it, listeners. Take a look at the show notes for all the things that Dana has discussed with us today. You could go to outcomesrocket.com slash Dana. That's D-A-N-A. And you're going to be able to find all the show notes, a summary of what we've talked about, including links to the fun stuff that Dana's working on and the community that she's uh, built. So I just want to ask you, Dana, to ask really just to conclude with a closing thought and then share the best place that the listeners could uh, get a hold of you. I would say the closing thought is we are not waiting because we can't afford to wait. And I would love to see more people working in healthcare adopt that urgency mentality. And to find me, I'd say check me out on Twitter. I'm at Dana M. Lewis and then also openaps.org and at openaps on Twitter to learn more about the DIY artificial pancreas community. Love it, Dana. Keep up all the amazing things that you're up to. I'm just going to, folks, she's a girl you want to follow. Definitely somebody that's going to be making some, some moves here to improve patient outcomes. Dana, thank you so much for being with us. 
Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.